I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Hey, Atlanta, have you heard? True Laundry Detergent is now offering free shipping in the Atlanta area. Just text the word TRUE to 404-493-0523 or give us a call. That's 404-493-0523. True Detergent is four times concentrated and perfect for those HE washers. Just one ounce removes dirt, brightens fabrics, and leaves each load with a clean, fresh scent. Best of all, True contains no animal products, and it's safe for sensitive skin. Follow us on social media, True Detergent ATL. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the Elementary Genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the Wilmington on Fire documentary. If you haven't seen this documentary, you must go out and see it. The documentary explores the Wilmington Masquerade of 1898, which was a bloody attack on the African-American community by a heavily armed white mob with the support of North Carolina Democratic Party. This event was the springboard for the white supremacist movement and the Jim Crow segregation throughout North Carolina and the American South. It did not become widespread news until Christopher Everett, director and producer, gave us the award-winning documentary. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Christopher to Necessary Blackness Podcast. Hey, how's it going, Ryan? Man, everything is good on this side. As you know, you know how we do. For those that don't know, tell us about Christopher Everett. You know, my name is Christopher Everett. I'm 34 years old, uh, born and raised in a small town, Laurenburg, North Carolina. Um, you know, I'm a 
film director, film producer, screenplay writer. You know, I kind of got into film, I would say, right after college. I went to college for graphic arts at um, King's College in Charlotte, North Carolina. And some years after that, <clears throat> I kind of started, you know, dibbling and dabbling into film somewhat. You know, just trying to learn from people, man, doing like, you know, being like a PA, you know, working for free, just to try, you know, just to try to learn the game and just trying to get my foot in the door and just really learn what I was doing. And then I would say about 2008, I kind of stumbled upon the history about the 1898 Wilmington Massacre. And I just started researching and, and just reading books on it and decided by 2010, I wanted to start my own film production company. And the story on the Wilmington 1898 massacre was going to be my first project. And, you know, thus I created Wilmington on Fire. For those that don't know, can you tell us who are some of the prominent people that appear in the Wilmington documentary? Yeah, you know, we got, um, you know, people familiar with Dr. Umar Johnson. Um, he's in the film. Um, we also have uh, Professor Sandy Darity. You know, a lot of people might be familiar with him. You know, being on shows like, you know, Yvette Carnell's show, uh, Tone Talks, you know, talking about black wealth and reparations and stuff like that. Um, he's a big advocate of that. So he's in the project as well. Um, we also have direct descendants of some of the victims of the 1898 massacre in the film also. So, it's, you know, it's a wide variety, man. We have a few, you know, known faces like Dr. Umar in there. And we also have a few um, activists and actual descendants and historians about, you know, who've been on this issue about the 1898 massacre. We have researched for years about this event. You know, all these people are in the film. Now, when I watch the film, one thing that I can say is that, brother, you have done your research. And there are a lot of facts in there that I didn't know. And yeah. I, I definitely was enlightened, and I understand that this film is about the overthrow of the local government, which was trying yeah. to force blacks and whites not to vote. And it was done, ironically, by the Democratic Party, which yeah. has a 90% loyalty rate when it comes to black. Now, we have to be honest, this is slightly different uh, Democratic Party. But yeah. can you take us back to that climate of 1898 and tell us what the Democratic Party was about and what the Republican Party was about and what essentially led to this masquerade? All right. Well, back then, man, you know, in the 1890s, you know, the Democratic Party and Republican Party were way different than what we know today. Um, pretty much the roles were reversed. Um, you know, back then, the Democratic Party party was pretty much purely white, you know, and the majority of them were uh, former Confederates as well. A lot of them fought for the Confederacy as well. And majority of the whole party was pretty much the party of white supremacy. You had Republicans as well that believed in white supremacy, but you also had, you know, a small faction of Republicans who were, you know, sympathetic of, Af of the African-American plight. You know, wanted to, you know, African-Americans get educated, wanted African-Americans to be also involved in the voting process as well. And so those white folks combined with, you know, African-Americans that, had, you know, just got free from slavery a good 30 years, you know, prior, um, kind of merged together into this thing called fusion politics, where they kind of combined, you know, both of these parties 
together to put their people in office and the fusion movement was real big in North Carolina and that's how North Carolina was kind of able to be a progressive state back then um, through the 1890s all the way up until the massacre of 1898 where in Wilmington you know a lot of people might not even know about Wilmington today you know a lot of people when you hear about North Carolina you hear about Charlotte you know maybe Raleigh but back then in the 1890s, Wilmington was the major city in North Carolina. It was North Carolina's largest city back then. You know, it wasn't Charlotte or Raleigh. Wilmington was the, the spot to be, especially for African-Americans. Um, it was a place where you can get a, a good paying job. I think Wilmington had some of the highest wages in the state um, during that time. Um, it was also a place where if you tried to start a business, you could get the capital to do it. Um, the educational system was good there for African-Americans. You can get homes. Um, they encouraged and promoted home ownership. And you could also get involved in the political arena as well. You had several black aldermen. Um, you had um, several um, African-Americans who had federal um, and state jobs throughout the city and the state. Um, so it was a thriving, um, it, it pretty much, man, was an experiment of, I guess, how America was supposed to be. You know, black and whites kind of working together and everything being on an equal playing field. But you have the Democratic Party of this time who really wanted to put a stop to that and wanted everything to go back to full-out white supremacy. And that's what pretty much happened. They overthrew the, the government in Wilmington and established Jim Crow not only in the city of Wilmington, but throughout the state of North Carolina. And by the 1900s, the whole fusionist movement with white Republicans and black Republicans had pretty much ended. And, you know, the black vote, and all that stuff pretty much didn't exist no more until really the civil rights movement. That's some history. That's some history right there, family. Now, I know that many people, after viewing this film, they're going to make a comparison between what happened in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah. and, and Rosewood, those masquerades. Yeah. Can you tell us yeah. what was different, if any, about the Wilmington, North Carolina masquerade of 1898? Well, the Wilmington one is, is, is different because, you know, it happened before Tulsa and it happened before Rosewood. But it, it also signaled that whole end of, you know, Reconstruction. You know what I'm saying? It really, it really um, pretty put a, I guess, a, it stomped on the whole idea of this is going to be what Reconstruction is going to look like. And kind of crushed that whole model and idea. And also is different from really any other massacre throughout history because they actually overthrew the government um, as well. Um, they pretty much exiled and banished a lot of the African-American politicians and business owners. And they took over the whole government. They replaced all of the black police officers, all the black uh, firemen, all the black aldermen, or anybody else who was um, magistrates, the whole nine. Any, any black person... And also any white person that were sympathetic to the African-American community, they all had to go. And they replaced everyone, whether it was the police department, fire department, aldermen, and including the mayor and other magistrates and judiciaries. They replaced everyone with white supremacists. And, you know what I'm saying? And then that was just Wilmington. But then they also did it statewide as well. Meaning that they they um they intimidated voters throughout the state, um they um stuffed ballot boxes and cheated throughout those whole elections, and they had a majority. Now they won the um the actual legislature, the North Carolina legislature in 1898, and then by the 1900s 
they were able to win the governorship as well, which they allowed um, Charles Brantley Aycock to become the governor of North Carolina. And therefore, they were able to set up Jim Crow as well. So those are, the, t- I guess, the, the differences with, with the Wilmington Massacre. Like, what it actually did was overthrow not only the government of Wilmington, but also the government of the whole state of North Carolina. You know, this was a statewide um, white supremacy movement. You know, the Wilmington Massacre kind of kicked it off. And then over the next two years, they were able to take fully control of the state. Then they implemented Jim Crow throughout the state. Now, when you speak about voter suppression and segregation and different laws and the overthrowing of the government, 2017, we have Donald Trump in office, and he's pretty much overthrowing the government within the White House because he's firing anybody that's in opposition to him. Do you think something on that magnitude or that level that happened in 1898 could possibly happen in today's time? Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Um, We are, like you just said, you know, we're already really kind of seeing it. And they also, they've they've actually done it again in North Carolina. Um, We had a new governor, right, come into office um, um, earlier earlier this year. And They pretty much, man, we have we have like a, a Republican legislature now in North Carolina. So we got a new, you know, our, our Republican governor messed up so much that anyone, I could have ran against him and got elected. So we got another dude to run. He got elected. He's a Democrat. So what they did when he first got in, they pretty much blocked everything he tried to do. You know, they found different loopholes within the laws that were pretty much created back in 1900. You know, they found different, they haven't changed. They found different loopholes to really block his power and not be able to do anything. So the media around the country started to get word about this. And every media outlet, MSNBC, CNN, all the news blogs, everything, everybody kept bringing up the history of North Carolina and it all tied back in 1898. You know, and they all kept talking about the similarities of when, you know, the white supremacy movement, you know, the Democratic Party back then, you know, what they did, similar things, you know, to what the the state legislature is still doing today in North Carolina. So the stuff is still going on. Um, You know, they're not really doing a lot of what they did back then, like running around with a Gatling gun shooting people. But they're still doing it, but they're doing it within the laws and they're doing it in the court system and they're doing it you know, within, you know, government legislature, legislature as well. So it's still going on. I noticed recently that you showed your film at the Black Harvest Film Festival, and you have a couple of upcoming film screenings. Where, where are some of the places that you expect to film in the future? Yeah, Black Harvest coming up. Um, the festival's already started, but it's coming up. We're showing our film the 17th. Um, we show an our film on um, August 17th at the uh, the Black Harvest Film Festival. And people can just go check that out. If you're in the Chicago area, it's going to be showing August 17th at the Cisco Film Center, 6 p.m. So definitely go check that out. But if anyone wants to stay up to date with anything I'm doing, man, just go to WilmingtonOnFire.com. 
And you can check us out on there for any screenings, updates, or you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wilmington on Fire. We always posting screenings, ways to get the DVDs, everything on there. Now, I want to let y'all know, family, this is not a relatively new movie. This movie has been out. When the movie came out, brother, officially? We thought, we started doing screenings, I say. We had our first screening November 2015, and then we just did like a year tour. And the DVD finally came out in December, of this past December. Um, so, the, you know, film, the DVD and digital downloads been out since December 2016. You know, but... You know, I've just been still trying to get it out because a lot of people still haven't heard about it or they might have heard about it, but just haven't, you know, haven't saw it yet. But if anybody's interested in seeing the film, the film is out. Go to WilmingtonOnFire.com, WilmingtonOnFire.com. You can watch it on Vimeo or you can order the DVD straight from the site. Yes, family. This film has been in several different film festivals, the Pan-African Film Festival. And like the brother just stated, it will be shown at the Black Harvest Film Festival. And if I'm correct, brother, you have won some awards thus far for this dynamic film. What are some of the awards yeah, and accolades that you have received thus far? Oh, yeah, man. We won several awards, man. We won... um. Um, we won at th this year's Pan-African Film Festival. I won Best Director um, for, for a first-time, you know, feature-length documentary. Won that at the Pan-African Film Festival. I won um, Best Documentary Film at the North Carolina Black Film Festival. Best Documentary Film at the Film Spark Film Festival. Uh, what else we won? Um, I broke a few attendance records as well. I think I broke like four attendance records at a couple of festivals. We broke the, um, we have the most attended screening ever at the Kukuloris Film Festival in their 20 year history. I think we had like 800 people at the screening. Oh, wow. Wilmington on fire. Yeah, then we had 400 people on outside. They couldn't get in. That was the world premiere. That was the premiere when we did it in November. And everything was right, man, because we did it in Wilmington. The, the, the film festival was in Wilmington. So we had 800 people on the inside, 400 people that couldn't get in. It was like a three block, you know, line, man. It was crazy. And they, the city has never seen nothing like that ever. And they're still talking about it to this day in Wilmington. As you know they should. So, As they yeah, should. Yeah. Well, brother, I want to thank you for coming and allowing us to speak to you on Necessary Blackness Podcast. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. And then we're going to come back after we come from a commercial break. And we're going to play a small little excerpt from the trailer so that this can pique your interest and you go out and you support this brother. My name is Raheem Shabazz. Stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. 
Naheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media, and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Peace. This is Prince Culture Law, and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power. This is reporting live, and you're tuned in to Necessary Blackness with my boy Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Hey, what's going on, man? This is Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shali. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Peace and blessings, beautiful people. This is your girl, Ashton Brianna. Just wanted to get out here and let you know that... Whatever you're doing, no matter where you are, on Wednesday night, you can tune in to Necessary Blackness, the podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, uh, where else? Anywhere. And you get to listen to me. So why not? Necessary Blackness, Wednesdays. Hey, guys. This is Ebony G of Having My Say Radio. When I'm not having my own say on my radio show every Monday from 9 to 11 p.m. on Love 860, I am tuned in to the Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. This is Chi-Town's finest, Khadidra. And when I'm relaxing, I enjoy listening to Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Yo, this is Cambino. And when I'm riding down Stony, all I listen to is Necessary Blackness podcast with my guy, Raheem Shabazz. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. They say the Cape Fear River was full of bloody black bodies that day. That black people couldn't find their way. That black men died from gunshots in their backs. That black women ran to the swamps across the tracks. That very smart and bold black men were put on the train and given a free ride out of town where they were told to remain. They say that the dead bodies were left in the streets. The foul smell was so strong that buzzards circled for weeks. That black babies cried and moaned for their fathers and a bite to eat that black folks lost all their savings and were left helpless and beat. It had to be done, said the white people who started it. They loved their town until the blacks tried to change it. They took over the city to restore their heritage, they said. They were heroes to many who wanted uppity folks dead. Some folks still don't see anything wrong with what they did, or that any harm was done to the ones who ran and hid. Serious damage was done to the soul of the town. That's why folks want to turn it around. Now is the time to make up for the crime, to help our children learn from our mistake, to ensure that there will be no more 1898.
Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here back at you. Necessary Blackness Podcast. We have the brother, Chris Everett, right here with us. And we're going to ask the brother a couple of more questions. After this documentary, what other projects do you have on the pipeline or you have in mind that you're going to be producing, that you're going to be bringing to the public? Well, um, one project we currently have now, um, you know, my film company, we actually got the distribution rights to it. And it's a um, it's, it's a cult film. It's an underground film. It came out like in 2001, but never really saw the light of day outside of you know the film festival circuit. But it's a very powerful film. It's called um, As an Act of Protest. It's a narrative film, and it pretty much deals with this young actor who whose brother was killed, you know, by police officers in New York, and he's trying to figure out, you know, the meaning to his life. You know, should I continue to do theater work and plays and hope? that, you know, the arts can change, you know, the consciousness of our people, or should I take a more direct stance of actually leading some type of revolutionary movement, you know, through violence? And that's what the film is about, you know, talking about the role of the artist and, and also racism, police brutality. It deals with all those themes. And it was a very powerful film, man, when the guy tried to come out with my man Dennis Leroy King Lee tried to come out with it, but it was banned. When he tried to put it out in 2001, I think a couple of weeks right before he tried to put it out, 9-11 happened. Oh. And that just kind of shut all momentum for what he was trying to do. And, and Giuliani actually came out publicly and said, no, we're not showing the film. And he couldn't get it shown anywhere in New York. So he just did the film festival circuit for a few years and just kind of got frustrated. And it just kind of went underground. But it started to come back out, i say about 2014, when we started having a lot of these police killings and a lot of people remembered the film, seeing the film, you know, somewhere at a film festival or something and said, Hey, we want to show this film. You know, it's important. You know what I'm saying? So they would reach out to him and say, Hey, do you still have copies of this film? We would like to bring you out, you know, to Chicago or Oakland or whatever like that to show the film and talk about it. And that kind of sparked the interest again. And I was always a fan of his work. And so he said, Chris, I think you're the right person to put this thing out. I like what you've done with Wilmington on fire on a grassroots level. <clears throat> and I want you to distribute this thing. So that's what we're doing now. Um, we just had our first screening of it um, last month in Raleigh, North Carolina. had a great turnout. And uh, so we're working on a couple of things, working on Detroit and a few other areas, Baltimore as well, possibly Atlanta. Too, and also New York. So those coming up in the next few weeks. But people can go to activeprotest.com, activeprotest.com to get more information about that project. But my next project that I'm actually filming, um, I'm going to start filming that towards the end of September. It's probably going to be about the beginning of October. We're going to film this. We're going to film a, a documentary on the life, um, martial arts career, and teachings of Grandmaster Vic Moore. Um, you know, Vic Moore is like one of the first um, actual professional world karate champions in the United States. You know, he's fought countless people, man. Chuck Norris, Bill Wallace, he did like speed competitions against Bruce Lee. And he's still around teaching, man. And um, so we're doing that. We're getting a lot of heavyweight martial artists like Steve Muhammad to be in the film. We reached out to Chuck Norris. Um, he's supposed to be in it. We're also getting uh, Frank Dukes 
Uh, people are familiar with um, the movie Bloodsport with John claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Damme actually played Frank Dukes. You know, that movie was based off of him being in the Kumite. And um, so Frank Dukes, he actually studied for a little while under Grandmaster Vic Moore. So he's involved. We talked to him a couple weeks ago. He's down to be in it. So it's going to be dope, man. We're going to start filming in October. And um, <clears throat> it'll take about, I guess, four or five months to shoot everything. And hopefully by next fall, next winter, we can go ahead and premiere that thing as well. Yeah, that's a film that I definitely want to see because a lot of people don't understand that a lot of martial arts come from African martial arts. And we heavily dominated that field. And I think a movie such as that will highlight that point. Plus, we need to be out here protecting ourselves anyway. You know, there's... there's no other greater way than to protect yourself than to study the African martial arts system. Exactly. You know, and it, it does more than just put you in a position where you're ready so you don't have to get ready, but it also teaches you discipline. I, I myself exactly. is... Um, studying African martial arts and I have a, a trainer as well. So yeah, brother, I look forward to seeing that uh movie. Um I'm definitely gonna check out the movie that's out now. Um where can they get that at? Is is that available for streaming as well? Not yet, not yet. We're gonna um put that out probably like in February. Like right now we're just doing screenings. Oh okay. just to build some momentum up, you know what I'm saying? But I see you I see your private link. All right. All right, family. That's it for us here at Necessary Blackness Podcast. Uh, brother Christopher, let everybody know where they can contact you at on social media. Well, anybody can reach out to me um directly. Um WilmingtonOnFire.com, WilmingtonOnFire.com, or you can just send me a text message to um, my phone directly as well. And the number is 910-378-4357. 910-378-4357. In case they just want to hit me up directly. Also, social media. Uh, Facebook.com slash Wilmington on fire. Twitter.com slash Wilmington 1898. Instagram.com slash Wilmington on fire. You know, you can hit me up on any of those social media platforms. And you can also get the DVD, digital download at WilmingtonOnFire.com. Also, anybody that's listening that lives in Atlanta, the DVD is on sale at at my man Marcus's bookstore, Nubian Books. Nubian Books in, um, what is it, Merrill, Georgia? Yeah, Morrow, Georgia. Morrow. Yeah, Morrow, Georgia. Yeah, Morrow, Georgia. um, Nubian Bookstore. They have um, Wilmington on Fire DVDs for sale there. So if you're in the Atlanta area and you don't want to, you know, go online and get it, you just go right to Nubian Bookstore and get your copy. Yeah, shout out to Brother Marcus at Nubian Bookstore. Real good, brother. They have a lot of DVDs. They have a lot of books. Make sure you go out and support that, brother. Speaking of films, there is another movie that's slated to be released, and I want y'all to all go out and check it out. The movie is called Gook, and it's a heartfelt film exploring the relationships between 
Korean and African American families and communities during the LA riots. You can go online and check this out uh, using the hashtag Gook the Film. It will be released in LA on August 18th in selected theaters and then August 25th throughout the country. So make sure y'all go support that film. A very good film. I was able to obtain an advanced screening. I watched the film and I officially co-signed it. Us here at Necessary Blackness Podcast. So family, make sure you get behind this filmmaker and all independent filmmakers that are telling our story. All right, it's time for me to get up out of here, family. I want to let everybody know that August 22nd, we will be releasing Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. We are putting the final pieces to the puzzle in place. If you haven't already pre-ordered your copy, make sure you go to elementarygenocide.com so you can get a copy before everyone else. Also, if you haven't already got Elementary Genocide 1, the School to Prison Pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, make sure you go to elementarygenocide.com and order that copy. And continue, family, to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Using the hashtag Necessary Blackness Podcast. My name is Raheem Shabazz and I'm out of here. And I will see you guys next week. And hopefully I will have my two beautiful co-hosts here joining me. And we're going to do what we do. Peace and love, family. I'm out of here.